Welcome to Catholic Living, a podcast that seeks to be a user's guide to the Catholic faith, where we boldly ask, what if this stuff is all true? How then should we live? This is brought to you by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. I'm Tom Hoops. I'm writer in residence here at the college, and you can read what I write at alatea.org or excorde.org. Today, I want to talk about Christlessness the absence of Christ in our life. Because we're starting Advent now, and that's what Advent means, right? The lack of Christ in your life. Advent has always been really weird. I have nine children and a wife, and we've never really successfully celebrated Advent. We've always done stuff for Advent, and there's some great stuff to do. Uh, We do the Jesse tree. We've done the Holy Heroes thing. Uh, with the videos we've done, um, we've done a number of different things, but Advent always seems a little bit odd. It comes at this time of year when you're doing Christmassy things. My friend Peter Wolfgang calls it fake Christmas, right? The fake Christmas that starts uh, the day after Thanksgiving and lasts till December 25th. That's when real Christmas starts. When Catholics start celebrating real Christmas, but you can't avoid celebrating fake Christmas the day after Thanksgiving until Christmas. That's when office Christmas parties are. Uh, The first Sunday of Advent this year says to avoid being anxious about your life and uh, drunkenness and uh, carousing, which are exactly what people do at this time of year. They're anxious about their life and they drink a little bit too much at the office Christmas party. And I don't know what carousing is. But uh, you tend to not celebrate Advent as a sober time. The way you do Lent. Lent is super easy to understand. Lent comes at the end of winter when uh, things are dead and you don't feel super happy anyway. And Lent becomes the church's way of rebranding the depression that you're already feeling and kind of tying it to a dark time in Jesus Christ's life. And I don't know about where you live, but when I walk around the grocery store where I live during Lent, they aren't playing Jesus Christ is risen today on the speakers in the grocery store. However, when I walk through the grocery store during Advent, they are playing, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas on the loudspeakers and uh, God rest you merry gentlemen even. So it's, well, the whole world is telling you to celebrate Christmas. The church tells you to celebrate Advent. And it can seem like the church is being uh, kind of a drag. When we feel least penitential, the priests are wearing purple and asking us to be penitential. And I understand culturally, it used to be a much more sober time of year, but it sure isn't anymore. So what can you do about it? Well, that's why I want to bring up Christlessness this state of being without Christ, because that's what Advent is all about, right? It's like the uh, day after, well, it's like Good Friday. When you go into the church on Good Friday, the tabernacle door is open and the hosts have been taken out of the tabernacle and the church feels empty and you have this palpable sense of waiting for Jesus to return. It feels bizarre and creepy, like a like 
something's wrong, you know, kind of like when you're a kid and you wake up in the middle of the night and nobody else is in the house. I don't know. I mean, it just feels like somebody's significant is missing from the church on Good Friday. Well, that's what Advent is. It's looking back at a time of waiting for Jesus Christ. Uh, there were two times of waiting for Jesus Christ, of course. One was the time of the Old Testament waiting for Jesus Christ, and one is the time that we have now of waiting for Jesus Christ. So let's look at both of those and see what they have to tell us. First, look at the time before the first Christmas, when the world was truly Christless. And uh, I like to say that there was a Christ-shaped hole in the universe, right? In the whole universe. You can see this if you read the history of, the prehistory of the Bible. So in Revelation 12, it tells us what happened outside of time in heaven. And an image of a woman appears in the sky and she's giving birth, right? So this is an image of Christmas. And what happens? The devil objects, says he sees what's going on. God is going to give human beings this amazing gift of being deified as being part of his life. And the devil doesn't like it at all. He rebels. He leads other angels to rebel. Michael fights back, and Satan gets hurled down to the earth. And ever after that, the story in the Bible is Christ-haunted. It's a story of people who are trying to find Christ uh, because it was right there in the beginning. It was in that image from the very beginning. And so you see the devil attack the woman, Eve, because he saw this woman in the sky, and he's trying to get her to follow his instructions to be like God, to eat from the fruit of the forbidden tree. Rather than following Jesus Christ, or rather than following God's instructions to be like God. Uh, so Adam and Eve fall away, and then after that, it's this constant story of God trying to reach out to his people and uh, reconnect. You have Noah, who learns about God's wrath and then learns about his mercy with the rainbow. You have Abraham, who's given this great promise. Uh, you have Moses, who learns about God's concern for his people who are stuck there in Egypt and then learns about his concern for his people when he gives them the Ten Commandments. You have uh, all these attempts on the part of man to reach God that fail, starting with the uh, Tower of Babel, but then with the judges, until you finally find King David, who is who falls, but then returns, and he's a great king. He starts expanding the kingdom. Uh, his son Solomon builds the temple, and so you see we're really on a roll here. And uh, you know David is told that his line will last forever. So that's the first prophecy of the Messiah. Then you have this time of the kingdom falling apart, and then prophecy after prophecy of Jesus Christ. Uh, you'll learn that he'll be the acceptable sacrifice, the fulfillment of the Passover. You learn that Jesus will answer all these covenants that were made with Noah, Abraham, and David. You learn that the Messiah uh, will be born in Bethlehem. You'll you learn that he'll be born from a virgin. You learn that he'll be a healer who brings justice, who brings peace. 
You learn that he'll suffer and die, uh, and that that will be a pathway to victory, not defeat. And then, right before Christ's birth, the prophet Daniel starts talking about this divine figure called the Son of Man, who's going to come and reestablish the line of David after all these empires fade. So you have this great attention paid to this person who is missing, this Messiah. This Christ-hauntedness comes to a kind of a crescendo in the Holy Land. At the same time, worldwide, you see this expectation for a Christ figure to come. So in China, you have Confucius and Lao Tzu, right around the year 500 BC, and uh, teach new systems of order and harmony and family-centered systems. Confucius says, to put the world in order, we must first put the nation in order. To put the nation in order, we must first put the family in order. To put the family in order, we must first cultivate our personal life. We must first set our hearts right. Lao Tzu is forever searching for the Tao, right? This is a doctrine that's been picked up by all sorts of other religious traditions. He's searching for the Tao, which Christians might call the Logos, the way, the truth, and the life. He says, the Tao is like a well. It's used but never used up. It's like an eternal void filled with infinite possibilities. It is hidden but always present. I don't know who gave birth to it. It is older than God. So he's talking about this kind of order of the universe, which sounds a lot like we will hear at Christmas, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the intellectual life, you have Socrates, right again around the year 500 BC. Actually, he was uh, from 470 to 399 BC. He taught Plato. Plato founded Plato's Academy, and he taught Alexander the Great, whose Alexandria city was famous for its library. Plato also taught Aristotle, who is the founder of science, poetics, philosophy. So much of human knowledge came starting from Aristotle. And these thinkers saw a wound at the very center of humankind. Love is born into every human being. It calls back the halves of our original nature together. It tries to make one out of two and heal the wound of human nature, is what Plato said. Or as Aristotle put it, love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies. Then fast forward to immediately before Christ was born. In political life, you have Augustus Caesar, who finally brings about through conquest and violence, the Pax Romana. There's peace on earth, so to speak. Uh, and so the stage is set for Jesus Christ to come. Fulton Sheen loves talking about this sort of prehistory of Christ. He says, not only were the Jews expecting the birth of a great king, a wise man and savior, but Plato also spoke of the Logos. Socrates spoke of the universal wise man yet to come. Confucius wrote of the saint yet to come. The Sibyls wrote of a universal king. And the Greek dramatist wrote of a savior and redeemer who would unloose the primal eldest curse. This is uh, kind of along the lines of what C.S. Lewis talked about, uh, or what Aslan in C.S. Lewis's book talked about. He talked about this deep magic, which is deeper and older than the dawn of time, where there's this expectation that this deep wound in humankind or in Narnia kind in the book would be uh, saved. So there's this all of creation is groaning for this savior. 
the Old Testament prophet says, drop down dew from above and let clouds rain down the just one. Let the earth be opened and bring forth a savior. Rouse your power, come and save us, says the psalmist. So there's this universal longing for somebody to come and patch things up and to bring justice and light into the world. There's this real sense of Christlessness. The world feels like it's not complete yet. There's somebody missing, something missing that turns out to be someone. Uh, you can see this in our longing for beauty. You see beautiful things and you always want more beauty and there's never enough to fill you up. You see it in our longing for goodness. You want more and more goodness, more and more justice, and there's never enough. You always hunger and thirst for more. You want truth, right? Even little kids will ask, why, 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 why this? And then as soon as you answer, why that? And as soon as you answer, well, why that? Um, and so there's this expectation that somebody sometime will come along and put the final puzzle piece in place that completes the picture and makes sense of where we are. Well, that, my friends, is Jesus Christ. This is the one through whom all things were made. So I started out with this vision of Christmas that started uh, before time that Satan objected to and was flung down to earth. Well, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is a figure who existed outside of time. So theologians even say that when we pray in the creed that all creation was created through Jesus Christ, we're talking about the one and only Jesus Christ, the one who was wounded, the one who died for our sins, the crucified Christ. So all of history is marked by this crucified figure and longs for him to fill out what we're supposed to be. So that's what Advent is all about. Advent is getting us to this place where we expect and long for Jesus Christ. And what you'll discover is that there are two comings of Jesus Christ. The first coming of Jesus Christ was the coming of this baby that we will celebrate on December 25th. And uh, he came and he lived for 33 years and um, started the church. And the church slowly wended its way around the world, bringing the sacraments. But you'll notice that the coming of Jesus Christ was not this definitive end of history the way some may have expected it to be. Jesus Christ came with everything we need to be saved, to be brought to heaven, to be fulfilled, but it's not automatic. In order for us to undo this original sin where we rejected God, we all have to accept him. We have to express our free will in order to love him. And that's what's happening in sort of the second strain in Advent. You'll see in the Advent readings uh, that the church presents at Mass, you see expectation of this baby that'll come at Christmas, but you also see this expectation of Jesus Christ coming at the end of time. Because now our Christlessness looks different from the way it used to look. If Christlessness before was the fact that Jesus Christ hadn't come, Christlessness now is the fact that he came and we didn't take him seriously. Christlessness before was recognizing that there was something significant lacking in our life, something that we wanted that we couldn't choose. 
Now, Christlessness means there's something there, and we're just refusing to choose him. We're just refusing to do what's necessary to reach out and take what has been given to us. So all of the Advent preparation that the church does is trying to get our hearts to a place where we will recognize today's Christlessness and long for Jesus Christ, both at Christmas in the manger and at the end of time. So when we're lighting the candles, we're reminding ourselves that all is darkness unless we add light to it and the light comes from Christ. All of the different um, Jesse Tree stories is trying to remind us that God went out of his way to reach us through salvation history and we need to respond now. I'll tell you one thing that uh, my wife and I do with our kids for Advent that is trying to get our children to recognize what situation we're in now. We're in a situation where we're no longer waiting on Jesus Christ the way the Old Testament prophets were. We're now, we now have him here among us and we have to train ourselves to go out of ourselves and choose him. So what we do is we take a Christmas gift and I'll put this on the uh, excorde.org site so you can uh, see how it's done. We put a, a present beneath the tree and my wife, my wife never wants us to put the Christmas tree up before, like right before Christmas. Like I said, I'm into fake Christmas, so I try to put it up right away. But she at least lets me put lights on it usually, uh, if no decorations. But we can put this one gift under it. And it's just a gift box with a removable lid. We put in there different slips of paper. And each morning, each kid will take out a slip of paper. And the slip of paper will tell them what gift they're going to give to God that day. So maybe it's that they're going to write a letter to and put it under the manger, a letter telling Jesus what they want to do different in the new year. Or maybe it's going to be that they have to read a passage from one of the Gospels. Or maybe it's going to be that they have to write to our local priest or priests, uh, since we have some at the Abbey as well, and, and thank them for what they've done and ask for their prayers and, and to pray for them. Maybe it's offering up dessert or TV. Right, So we, we kind of collect them around prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Because these are the three things we have to do to get our minds ready to receive Jesus Christ. Like I say, he's already come. Now the problem is we're not receiving him. So you pray so that you get to know him, talk to him, become friends with him so that you are able to receive him. You fast so that you get yourself used to skipping those things that keep you away from him, even if they're good things, but things that you keep choosing instead of choosing him. And you give alms, meaning you practice generosity. You give back to your community. You give back to your family. You find something good you can do for a neighbor to just get your will used to giving to others. Uh, so I'll put that on the Excorde website so that uh, you could try that out if it helps. At any rate, whether we have children or not, it's up to us to preserve Advent and to make it a time of preparation, a time of conversion, and a time of hope, a hope that the Christlessness in our life will end. We started out by saying that Advent, unlike Lent, is hard to grasp, and that it almost seems like an afterthought at the end of the year, uh, 
or it's really the beginning of the liturgical year, but it feels like an afterthought at the end of the year to many of us. Well, after you spend some time thinking about it, perhaps the reason Advent is shorter and less emphasized is exactly because it's more obvious. We know what it's like to await a birth. We all have known somebody who's pregnant in our life and we're waiting for the baby to be born so we can meet this new member of our family. Well, Advent lets us take those feelings and go deeper in them and fulfill the true hope that we have for this birth that's going to come at Christmas of Jesus Christ. Advent is a gift the church gives us to be able to pull back the reins on the materialism of the gift-giving season and focus on the ultimate meaning of our very presence here on earth. To stop thinking about all the things that we want from the material world and realize that we too have a Christ-sized hole in our hearts that only He can fill. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hoops, and this is the Catholic Living Podcast produced by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Our mission is to produce media that will transform culture in America through Benedictine's mission of community, faith, and scholarship. Visit us at excorde.org.